It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fence side. Good morning, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode here of On the Fin Side with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as the Fan Sided Network and FinFanatic.com. I'm Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. We're, gosh, about three weeks away from free agency, as well as now just looking at the calendar, about nine weeks away from the NFL draft. So we're gonna we're gonna start bringing the content here one to two times a week. Be sure to join us for that. Today, we're going to talk about the Dolphins' recent coaching hires here, as well as a handful of players, actually more than a handful, that could be cut here this offseason. Um, the Dolphins are scheduled, according to overthecap.com, to have $63.8 million in cap room, and that could get up to 80 or 90 million, depending on who they decide to part ways with. And we're going to go through those guys. We're going to have a yes or no. And do they stay or do they go? But Paul, before we get into that, you know, gosh, it seems like forever since we had our, our show last week, the Dolphins didn't even have an offensive coordinator yet. They hired Frank Smith, uh, the Chargers offensive line and running coordinator, previously the Raiders uh, tight end coach. And they also hired... Daryl Bevel is quarterback coach and passing game coordinator. Matt Applebaum, Boston College's offensive line coach, uh, to man the offensive line. Uh, Jean-Pierre is actually going to be the assistant offensive line coach now, so that's kind of a middle finger to Brian Flores. Uh, and Sam Madison and Patrick Sertan are back in the building as, as, as uh, defense, as cornerbacks coach. Sam Madison leading that charge, Patrick Sertan as, as an assistant. So what do you make of these coaching hires? I love it. It's this is for me. This is every. I mean, all of our listeners know. I, I've wanted teachers in the building. I've wanted innovators in the building. I've wanted them to play aggressively and make it fun. And everything with this coaching staff screams play aggressively, screams teaching, and screams innovation. And like. We've complained about the cornerbacks playing off for for years, uh, on and off, with this recent coaching staff. But overall, it's a scenario that we've complained about that. And, and the thing I love about Sam Madison is, if you go back and you watch Madison Avenue, with where he had Xavier Howard on and they were driving around talking, Sam and, and Xavier were talking so much about coming up and playing press. So I expect to see a lot more press man coverage, which, God, that is so in the sweet spot for guys like Byron Jones and Xavier Howard that it's something I'm really excited for. And and you look at these guys; these coaches are the ones that those star players we all love watching. Um, you know, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk. You, you can run down a list here. They're the first person these people want to call when they do something good when they're not around. They're the first person these guys, like, beam about. I've never seen a set of coaching hires where you see the all-pros from the other teams come out and go, Dude, you guys got a great one. Holy crap. I I wish, like, you know, it's... I can't say enough good in that regard. Yeah, and that's that's a good point is um, when you look at... It's one thing to be to be, you know, 
during an interview to be asked, and then you see, you know, obviously you're going to say good things about your previous coach, or at least 99% of the time you are. They're doing this unprovoked. And, and you look at, uh, for example, Frank Smith, uh, the, the Dolphins' new offensive coordinator. He's not going to call plays. Mike McDaniel will do that. But is going to be McDaniel's right-hand man there, there on offense. Darren Waller uh, said that he texts him more than he texts his friends. He was the tight ends coach from 2018 to 2020, and you can plainly see that with Darren Waller. Darren Waller had was a, was an alcoholic. Um, he was an underachiever at Georgia Tech. He was a six round pick, a wide receiver out of Georgia Tech by the Ravens. A practice squad guy, barely caught any passes. And then in 2018 and 2019, he had back to back 1,100 yard seasons with the Raiders. And the only reason he didn't have another thousand yard season is because he got hurt this year. So. Man, oh, man, that's um, – yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited about that. And also, two passing game coordinator, Daryl Bevel. Now, you can look at this in two ways. The, the pessimist is going to say, well, let's look at the last two years. He you know, was with the Lions and the Jaguars. Why couldn't he get the things fixed there on those offenses? He was actually interim head coach two years in a row for the Lions and for the Jaguars. Very rarely does that happen. Um, so – but you look before that, he was the uh, Packers uh, quarterback coach from 03 to 05. He was also the Vikings quarterback coach during uh, Brett Favre's, uh, really best, uh, Brett Favre's best year in a decade with the Vikings in 09 when they almost went to the Super Bowl. And then he was with Russell Wilson for seven years when he was playing, obviously, his best football. So Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, you know, a decade worth of experience as their quarterback coach looks pretty good on your resume. And I think that's going to, that's, that's speaks well about what two is going to be surrounded with. Yeah, no, it's, it's God, it, it, it's so refreshing and relieving to see these coaches. I mean, it, it's, yeah, you can, you can go out and watch hype video all day, but it, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's one thing to say things in a press conference. Cause I'll go back to the Mike McDaniel press conferences where he talked about being a teacher, where he talked about you show these players the value you add for them to their careers. And and I'm paraphrasing when I say that. We're seeing the evidence already. We're seeing it with like that story you said about Darren Waller. We're seeing it with Kittle and Juice Jack. We're seeing it with all these players coming out of the woodwork. The fact that Debo Samuel made a call during the interview process and was like, if you don't hire Mike McDaniel, you're an idiot. It, it's it's refreshing to me that it, it it feels like we suddenly have a functional organization if we can get the right bodies in the building to play along. Right, and wait, we've gotten excited about coaching staffs and coaching candidates before. I do get the feeling this is a little different, though, because he, Again, you look at Mike McDaniel and what he's done the last four years with the Niners. Uh, the offense plays well above its talent level. George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, Debo Samuel, rave about the guy. Uh, you look at Frank Smith, Darren Waller, raves about the guy. That that was his. That was Frank Smith's number one guy from 2018 to 2020 with the Raiders as tight end coach. He goes to the Chargers last year as the offensive line coach and running game coordinator and works with Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler has almost 1,600 total yards last year and 20 touchdowns. So the lead guy over the last several years that Frank Smith has worked with raves about him and 
clearly they're playing well above what they've ever done before. Yeah. And then, go oh, good. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and, and then, you know, Daryl Bevel. You know, you you can you can take the last couple of years and say, well, he was not a great offensive coordinator, but was that really play calling in Jacksonville? Uh, that was the problem. And Daryl Bevel is not going to be a play caller. He's going to be a quarterback coach, which, if you look at his resume, is pretty darn impressive. It absolutely is. And before I, I get to my next point, I just got to say thanks, Shake. I love you. Rejoice, Cat. We have a fullback is from Shake Money. Just says, <laughs> "Gosh, yes, John, love, love it. it." Which is odd because I hate it. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, look, I, I. It's different with fullback okay, uh, this year. Uh, I mean, I, st- I still don't think fullbacks are or anything. I mean, I think you could put any idiot at fullback, but um, the Dolphins are going to have a fullback this year, whereas Brian Flores's team didn't. That that was the big thing. I mean, they rarely used two running backs in the backfield, if ever. They were one of the, I think they did like 4% of the time last year. So, yeah, I mean, this is different. They're going to use a fullback, and, and Lovett's the first guy in the building. They also signed um, River Craycraft, a wide receiver. He played with McDaniel and with the 49ers. Uh, previous prior to that, uh, with the Broncos has only caught seven NFL passes. One of them was for a 40 yarder, but, uh, looks more like a training camp body, uh, somebody who knows the system, but yeah, the dolphins have a uh, fullback in the building. Yeah. And it's God, I can't wait. We've still got Seathan Carter on the roster and for now, hopefully. in yeah, for now. And hopefully in the draft, we get my guy, Chigagonku and convert him to tight end or to fullback. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. And Patrick Ricard is also going to be a free agent too. Uh, the Ravens he's multiple time pro bowler. Uh, we'll see if he hits the market. I mean, if you're going to get a fullback and use them, you better get one of the best ones. And, and besides juice check, who's pretty entrenched there with the 49ers, Ricard is probably the best one in the NFL after that. Cause there aren't a lot of teams that are that use fullbacks. We could go with a power eye and put two fullbacks in front of our tailback. Oh God! <laughs> spent three minutes now on fullbacks. This is this is. We're going to spend a lot of minutes this offseason on fullbacks. Spiraling out of control. Um, but going back to the coaches here, uh, yeah, Matt Applebaum. It, you're you're really going to see with him, um, uh, that zone blocking scheme. That that's the biggest thing to keep in mind when looking at the offensive lineman that the Dolphins target in free agency in the draft this year is that everything under Brian Flores was big, giant, six foot five, 340 pound offensive lineman, man blocking scheme with Matt Applebaum and with Matt, with Mike McDaniel, they're going to be really prioritizing uh, zone uh, uh, flexibility, fluidity, mobility inside so that's going to make it really interesting. It's going to give an opportunity to players like Austin Jackson, like Liam Eikenberg, like Michael Dieter on the inside who are young, who can move. Now, another thing I say, too, is and this. I tweeted this here yesterday is with the 49ers. It's not like they had pro bowlers from left tackle to right tackle. I mean, at, at guard, they had a bunch of nobodies. I mean, they had you look at the players that started for them. Dan Brunskill, Brandon Fusco, uh, Mike Person, who actually was signed as a Dolphins uh, offensive assistant here this past week. These guys started, uh, uh, Brunskill started 40 games. Uh, Mike Person started 30 for them. It, these are nobodies. These are guys they 
that never had a starting role. And they, they were inserted into the lineup, some because of injury, and the 49ers offense kept plugging along, averaging that five yards a carry. Yeah, and if you look, I want to go back to Matt Applebaum for a minute. I mean, it feels like every year we're talking about a couple of linemen from BC when we do our draft coverage every single year and not every school <clears throat> has that and that that's a credit to, to Applebaum in a lot of ways the way that he's been able to coach these guys up and have them come be NFL caliber players um, the interesting thing with that as well is Hunter Long played up there and, and granted he's a tight end but I'm sure Applebaum's familiar with Hunter Long's ability to block. So we might see a scenario where we get a little bit more out of guys like Hunter Long, as well as keep an eye on BC offensive linemen in the draft, because if Applebaum truly believes in them, they may be a target a little earlier than some projections have them go. Right, and Zion Johnson is somebody you see mocked in the Dolphins a lot. Uh, I definitely love him, I could say that. Um, And he can play center or guard, uh, and... Yeah, we'll see on that. Also, Alec Lindstrom from Boston College should be a, a, a mid to late round pick as a center as well. So there are going to be at least two two Boston College offensive linemen drafted. We'll see really what Applebaum and, and what the Dolphins organization thinks of them. So staying with uh, the design of the offense, Paul, right now, gun to your head, is Mike Kosicki back next year? Yes. I'm going to say yes, too. Um, he may not be – he may be even less of a true tight end next year. Now – there's two factors on this front as well. And, and, you know, blocking on Twitter jokes aside, which, welcome to the club, Cat, by the way. Um, <clears throat> Mike Gesicki last year did improve his blocking. There was the effort there. There were times where you saw him occasionally have a key block that opened a lane for somebody. It wasn't always pretty, but... The willingness is there. And one thing, and I was glad to see, I think Jason Sarney tweeted this out as well, that we've been saying for a while is, if you stop thinking of Mike Gesicki as a tight end, he's absolutely special. And you you don't have to factor in the franchise tag stuff if you're able to re-sign the guy. So you don't have to fight over whether he's a tight end or a wide receiver. If you make him truly a wide receiver that you occasionally line up to block from you know a tight slot or something like that all the arguments against Mike Gesicki go away and well, yeah and match weapon for for somebody that likes designing different systems to accentuate the strengths of a mismatch weapon right yeah it's you know when I look at Mike McDaniel's offense last year with the 49ers, and I'll keep saying this over and over again until we get to free agency and we talk about Gesicki more directly, is last year George Kittle lined up in line on 750 snaps. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike Gesicki was 99. So there's that, and this offense is built around the run, and that doesn't fit Mike Gesicki very well. But the other side of that is – we're not necessarily bringing Mike McDaniel in here to bring the exact 49ers offense. It, it, the strength of him is his, his, as he said in his press conference, is his ability to adapt. And if you start out by saying, by looking at Mike Isicki and the skill set that he brings to the table and say, no, I can't work with him, 
I, I, there's some inconsistency there. So that's the reason I do think Gusecki is going to be back. If he's franchised as a tight end, he'd get 10 or 11 million. If he's a receiver, you're looking more at about 17 million. But like you said, if you can get a contract with him, you know, let's say five years, 60 million, I think he's going to cost a little more actually. Then you keep him in long term and, and then you can figure out what to do with him from there. Yeah, I think he's going to be 13, 14 million a year <clears throat> at the end of the day. And if you think of him in ter- so <clears throat> if you put you know one of these six foot corners against him he's going to eat all day and so if you're splitting him wide you're automatically forcing it he is the best tool Miami has to force defenses into weird and different coverages and move people off their spots which is something that, that if you watch the Baldy's breakdown, which I know you have, about um, Mike McDaniel out in San Francisco, his whole offense isn't, you know, oh, we need a Debo Samuel to be here. We need a Kyle Juszczyk to be here. It's putting the different players off their spot on a defense, making them uncomfortable, making them hesitate, make them take themselves out of position, and setting yourself up to win matchups. So Mike Kosicki is one of the best weapons that they have for setting up defenses to do what they don't want to do and making them uncomfortable before they even snap the ball. Right, yeah. He shows certainly a lot of different looks from play to play and from week to week. I will say, too, that if Kosicki is back, especially long-term, I think Devontae Parker will be traded, um, and, and probably not for much because you're not going to cut Devontae Parker because it would be senseless to. I'd rather have him on the roster as a fourth or fifth receiver because if you cut him before June 1st, you're saving just a few million dollars. If you cut him after June 1st, you're saving $6 million. I would pay $6 million to have him as the fourth receiver playing 30 snaps a game. That, but I also think, too, that regardless of the looks Mike McDaniel gives on offense, one constant theme is creating spacing. And I don't know if you can do that with Gesicki and Parker as two of your top three options, along with Jalen Waddell. I... So I, I think you're going to see some change here in the receiving unit because this offense prioritizes spacing and yards after the catch. Two things that Kasicki and Parker don't really bring. So we'll see. I don't think you probably get more than a fourth rounder for him. Um, I don't know. Kasicki brings yards after the catch a lot more than Devontae Parker does. It's Kasicki. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I think Kasicki has three broken tackles in his career, and I'm not yeah. exaggerating. Oh no, no, no. I'm with you on that. But we've seen a lot more scenarios where Gasicki manages to get open and catch the ball and take off with it. Yeah, broken tackles, not a lot. Yards after – okay, I'll, I'll amend that to say yards after contact. Yeah, yards after contact is a lot different than yards after catch. Like, gotcha. And, and Gasicki's mis, mis, mismatch ability puts him in those scenarios where he's able to. Devontae Parker, his strengths are – you know, he's basically – a more athletic appearing Aronde Gadsden, where he's going to catch the ball if it's near him. He's probably going to have two guys draped off of him and around him, but he's going to snatch the ball. Gasicki's going to do that, but he's also, if he catches the ball, going to take off on you instead of just, you know, falling where he lies. Right, yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's a big difference there. So I'll, uh, I learned my lesson there. Um, <laughs> also, too, uh, before we get to, uh, uh, I'll talk about Sam Madison for a second. 
Uh, Daryl Bevel, Paul, was uh, UConn's wide receiver coach in 1998 and 1999. I don't know if you know that or not. I do. I remember that. It's, uh, you know, yeah, it's been a little while, but it's. <sighs> He's had a long career, and I mean, it's almost, I mean, 20 years in the NFL. I mean, working with three different Hall of Famers. So I'm, I'm really excited to see to see um, Daryl Bevel work with Tua Tungavailoa. Um, but going back to Sam Madison, and I'll tell you what, Sam Madison is one of my favorite Dolphins of all time. And I think there can be this nostalgia of bringing back Sam Madison, Patrick Sertan. That's really cool. But for me, it goes further than that. I'm surprised they were able to get Sam Madison because you look at what the Chiefs have done over the last three years at the cornerback spot. Yeah, I know they're they're known for offense, obviously, but they have put so few resources at the cornerback position. The, like Legereus Sneed was a converted safety fourth-round pick out of Louisiana Tech, has started 30-some-odd games for them. Um, Chervarius Ward, an undrafted free agent, coached up. Rashad Fenton, a sixth-round pick out of South Carolina. They haven't spent a high amount of resources at the cornerback position. And to coach them up to this level where they're just good players, again, you're talking about taking players, and it's a theme with this coaching staff and these hires, taking these players and having them play above their talent level. That's what they're looking for. So not only is it cool to have Madison and Sertan back in the building, but for the last three years, he's been able to coach the most out of these players too. He has, and it, it's funny. Somebody had, had had put a comment out yesterday about Charles Burks deciding to leave, and, and I sat back and thought about it. And Charles Burks left coaching Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, you know Nick Needham, Justin Coleman, all those guys, to go try to coach up Eli Apple. Well, Apple's a yes, but I guess I'm picking. Splitting hairs. Eli Apple's a free agent, but uh, he's still league year hasn't started yet. That poor guy, man. Like he he's come all the way back to. I like Eli Apple. Don't being a good player, and in the Super Bowl he couldn't cover uh, Cooper Cup. Nobody could cover Cooper Cup this year. Nobody tried to, which was really weird. You know, and Jalen Ramsey blew coverage just as much. Just his team won. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, I'm I'm getting off the beaten path on that uh but no and, and if this sounds like a, <laughs> if this sounds like a dolphins fanboy show so far because of the coaching hires l- listen if i set very for my end at least i can't speak for paul but for my end i set very clear expectations for the dolphins coaching search i said if you don't get one of your four clearly identified candidates which were mike mcdaniel brian dable kellen moore actually three those three if you didn't get one of those guys because of the organizational structure and because of what's being said by Brian Flores and other people in the media, then you failed. And as a result, you're going to have to go back to Vance Joseph. You're going to be playing a zone-heavy scheme that doesn't fit the personnel, and it's going to be a train wreck. And this would be a really angry show, at least from my, from my point of view, if they had found themselves in that position. But they didn't. They got Mike McDaniel. They got, they got one of the one of, if not the top guy on their list. So that's why hiring McDaniel and surrounding him with these coaches is a big deal. And for me, if McDaniel had been 10th on their list and they went one through nine and got the, nope, sorry, nope, 
sorry, nope, sorry. And finally, went, oh, I guess we got to hire this McDaniel guy. I'd be in the same place right now. And that's because everything on my list that I've wanted in a coach, at least on paper right now, and in a coaching staff, at least on paper right now, we're just sitting there checking these boxes. Finally, we've gotten our top guy before. And we've sat here and basically said, well, I hope it works. Um, Cam Cameron. Uh, not for nothing, Flores. Like, he didn't get us there. Um, everything else aside, he didn't get us there. And I, I saw the innovation with the defense. I saw us get away from the innovation with the defense and then suddenly go back to the innovation with the defense. Um, whoever did that. And it's, you know, you look back at, like, Gase. Like, this is this is a staff that has shown the innovation, shown the brilliance. Coaches that are well-respected have deferred to Mike McDaniel in so many different ways. Uh, you know, and the staff that he's building with Welker, somebody that's ridiculously admired. He's got a staff right now of a ton of guys that have been earmarked early on in their careers as next great football minds. And as far as creating spacing and getting open, nobody knows that better than Wes Welker. And he took two guys, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who aren't known for creating receivers and was able to do that with them and coach them up. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited about this coaching staff overall. But, Paul, let's, uh, let's get into our second, second part here. Real quick. We are going to look at – I, I want to answer a quick question in chat. Uh, Scummy asked if McDaniel has as much pull with, as flow with the talent player acquisitions. Chris Greer has shown that he's going to go. If Mike McDaniel says, I need this or I need that to be able to coach, Chris Greer has shown that he's going to try to get this or that, even if it's not a player that he would normally select or try to sign. So if, if McDaniel says, I need this, that's the one scenario where I would say Greer would need to be walked out of the building. If Greer's sitting there saying, nope, I'm going to give you something else and you play with it the way I tell you to. Then- right. And and the funniest rumor I hear going around is that Brian Flores wanted Justin Herbert. That's a lie. Uh, I, I've been told by three people in the know that that is not true. And I'm not saying he bounded on the table for Tua, but there is no way that Chris Greer locked Brian Flores in the closet and say, no, this is your quarterback. That is not Chris Greer. Chris Greer is not a tyrant. He is going to get the players, right or wrong, that the coach wants. And he has he has the final blessing over it. That's that's it. And anything else that's said is a lie. It's it's that simple. Now you can love or hate that, but that's the truth. And that's why I thought that Greer, at the time I said this, Greer is not worth preserving because if he's going to prevent you from hiring the coach that you want, it's not worth it. Well, the Dolphins hired the coach they want. So I'm I'm fine with Greer staring staying now, even though I'm not singing his praises until this this roster gets up to a championship caliber roster. A lot of Bobby McCain talk in the chat too, Paul. I see uh, he is a free agent this year, and you know, you want to bring him back for a few million, play slot corner, maybe take Justin Coleman's spot or have him the, be the third or fourth safety? Fine with me. And and actually, that that's one other thought too. Just I know we're not going to dive deep into this. These players coming out, well-respected players around the league, all pros, guys that have been turned into all pros, coming out on behalf of Flores and Smith and the rest of this coaching staff is going to absolutely help with free agency coming up. 
And it's a scenario that, you know, if you hear, this guy turned me into an all-pro. This guy fixed my life and turned me into an all-pro. This guy, you know, we're, who, who are you FaceTiming over there at the Pro Bowl? Oh, Mike McDaniel, even though he's not my coach anymore. Like, all these things, players see that, and it makes it, it can serve as a tiebreaker at times for, you know what, I want to go play for this dude. I'm hitting the peak of my career, maybe even if it's a short-term contract so I can get paid later. Like, it, it's people are going to want to play for that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very encouraging to see what the Dolphins have done on their coaching staff so far. And uh, let's uh, take a look here at the upcoming weeks because the Dolphins have some decisions to make. And this part of the show, we're going to go through a few players here. We've looked at the salary cap numbers. And we have a list of nine players we're going to say yes or no on and what the Dolphins can save by cutting them. So, Paul, let's start at the top of the list. And before we do that, again, reminder, the Dolphins have are scheduled to have about $64 million in cap room, the most in the NFL. And they can get that number up to somewhere between 80 and $100 million, depending on what they do. And the whole purpose of bringing in Mike McDaniel and keeping Josh Boyer is because the Dolphins, right or wrong, feel that they're close and that they can take that next step up with a different coach, more communication, more cohesiveness. So let's start at the top. Eric Rowe. So his cap number is uh, 5.08 million. Uh, Well, actually, I'll I'll spare everyone the details. Eric Rowe, the Dolphins can save 4.55 million by cutting him. Keep. Yes or no? Keep him. I'm keeping him too. And because very simply, I mean, if if you cut Eric Rowe to save four point five million dollars, you're going to try. You're going to be looking for a third safety who's a veteran, who you're probably going to pay four or five million dollars. I mean, someone like Deron Harmon is a free agent, you know, or the Bobby former McCain. Patriot, or Bobby McCain. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. And I would take for what the Dolphins do, I would take Rowe over McCain. Um, but I wouldn't mind having McCain back in the fold for a few million if if he's up for that. So yes, I'm keeping Eric Rowe too. Next, Adam Butler, four point one five million. And okay, you're keeping him. Yeah, he he. The way he yeah. developed in this defense over the course of last season, he he is a he turned himself into a key cog in this defense and that defensive line rotation. I don't want to screw up the defensive line moving forward. I was really back and forth on Butler. I I decided to keep as well and. He brings something different than the other defensive tackles. I mean, Raquan Davis and Zach Sealer are, are very clearly push the pocket type of pass rushers. Sealer Sealer brings a little more, um, I'm not gonna say twitchiness, but a, a little more ability to get into the backfield than Davis does. Obviously, Christian Wilkins can get in the backfield, but uh, Butler is just kind of your, you know, when the Dolphins have a lead, pin your ears back and get to the quarterback type of defensive tackle. He only had two sacks on the air. But he was a problem when the Dolphins had those leads, and they were able to more send three three players to the quarterback and still create some pressure. So, I'm I was really close on Butler, but I, I decided to keep him as well. So Rowan Butler, we're keeping. Jesse Davis is a cut for me, saving three point six million. Yeah, I'm number one. Uh, he he. I mean, I don't think he fits any scheme, but he definitely doesn't fit this one. That demands flexibility. 
and mobility out of tackle or guard. I, I, if Flores had returned and you said, okay, we're kicking Jesse Davis into left guard to compete and be the swing man, I could have stomached that, but it's a flat no now. Yeah, I've had the thought, uh, and, and Jesse Davis may not be a quick cut. He may be one that they cut possibly even after the draft. If, you know, because of his positional flexibility, I I I wouldn't keep him though. It, it's he, he's somebody that just you know I, I seeing that C on his chest still pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, the next two we can just blow through. Uh, Clayton Fedulum saved 2.78 million, and Alan Hearn saved 2.58 million. Can we cut Fedulum retroactively? Uh, uh, I don't even know what that word means. So that uh, means go basically go in the, and go look. We're cutting you all the way back to like 2019, so you owe us a oh. million dollars. Oh, get <laughs> you, you owe us some of that 2020 money. Yeah, <laughs> Clayton. <laughs> well, same same could be said for Alan Hearns. I mean, uh, I'm good with that too. Like retroactively, just go back to the point we signed him and go like the end the after credit scene from the first Deadpool. Just go back and fix those mistakes. So, uh, yeah, Fetchalum, I'm has way more of a chance to stay than Hearns because um, he's, he's you know arguably, arguably the Dolphins' top special teams player, but at almost $3 million on a special teams unit that coverage-wise was just okay last year. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of keeping Danny Crossman a special teams coach, but he has a he has a I think Fedulum has a has a 50-50 chance to stay. But I know Do you on want this to know show how we, in I am on Fedulum getting cut. Like if that wasn't his name, that would be his nickname for me because that's the freaking noise I make every time someone says his name or I see him walk on the field like Fedulum, Fedulum. Like it's just uh Yeah, it's something I'm your done. granddad uh, uh mumbles under his breath when you didn't uh, close the door. Yeah, in lieu of swearing. <laughs> Um, all right, now here's an interesting one. Miles Gaskin, you could save $2.54 million by cutting him. Keep him for now. Because I, I think Gaskin actually has the possibility of thriving when called upon within a McDaniel offense. I completely disagree, and that's why I'm cutting, I'm cutting him on this. I, in this. In this scheme, you have to be able to stretch horizontally plant your foot and see the have the vision and the burst to burst upfield. Gaskin doesn't have that. I mean, he is he is a good receiver, but that's it. And and when you take a look at the 49ers running backs, uh, they like to rotate a lot and you have to have the ability to do what I just said. And I don't think Gaskin has any of that ability. So to me, he gets the ax. You almost said to see the Fedulum hole and get up the Fedulum field. With Gaskin, I'm I'm okay with cutting him. I, don't get me wrong, but yeah, Seethan Carter, Seethan Carter, Carter I would not give a shot. <laughs> well, now you're you're uh, if you cut Fedge, let me cut Seethan Carter. You're cutting two of your core special teams players. So we got like eight core special teams players. I'm good. Eh, not not as much. You know, these are the guys who play. Are you know? I, I've got to check the numbers, but they they play. I know Fedulum plays just about every snap, and, and Carter plays most of them. So, and what does that I, mean? Fedulum's in every coverage snap, and you never hear his name except when he comes in at safety. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and but yeah, I 
I, I'd I cut Seth and Carter too. I'm just pointing that out. But you, yeah, you, you cut Seth and Carter, you cut Clayton Fedgel, and you save five million dollars. I think that's certainly worth it. What's the quote um, I'm looking for? I said good day, sir. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I want to point out too that uh, after day one of free agency last year, the Dolphins came away with three players: Jacoby Brissett, Malcolm Brown, and Seth and Carter. And people say, oh, well, that's good value. That's good depth. No, it and isn't. I said, I said, in what world does it make sense to, to spend $10 million on those three guys instead of getting a higher level starter at a need position? How does that make sense? And I hope Chris Greer learns that here this, this offseason. Get two or three big pieces that change things. Stop. Do not develop quality depth. That's for your coach to do. Well, it's if. If your coach can't develop quality depth, fire him. And and I think Mike McDaniel can do that. So stop signing depth. Losers sign depth. Winners sign stars. Sign the stars. Sign the offensive tackles. Yes. Yeah, please. Two of them. If you sign, can, a, sign, sign two fedgeliming offensive tackles. At least, you've got to get – yeah, you've got to come out of free agency. And it, it is – it's not a great free agent group, but it's really good at offensive line. And, I mean – at both tackle and guard. So the Dolphins should be able to do that. Um, Seathan, uh, so Seathan, Seathan, uh, Seathan Carter. Cut him again. Cut him again. <laughs> um, Adam Shaheen save $1.85 million. Unfortunately, right now, I don't think you can unless you bring back Durham Smythe. Yeah, I keep Shaheen. I mean, I was disappointed that he didn't get on the field more. I mean, he... he I really thought this was one of the more underutilized players last year. I know he he missed a few games. I, I, I know he's not a special teams guy, but I I think he does have ability. I, that's certainly worth you know one point eight five million for me. And then finally, uh, Greg Little, one point five four. One point five four. I'd give him a shot to try to keep a backup role, but I, I I'm going to be honest. I could care. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I debated putting even putting him on the list. Uh, I, I kept him too. I mean, I, I think he's at least worth a worth a look for one point five million. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. So overall, the the ones we agreed on, we're cutting Jesse Davis three point six million savings, Clayton Fedulum two point seven eight million, <laughs> Alan Hearns, two point five two point five eight, Miles Gaskin two point five four. Um, well, you were leaning toward keeping Gaskin, but let's let's let's. Kind I'm okay either way on Gaskin. Okay. Seathan Carter, 2.53. So we tally all that up, and you add that to the Dolphins' cap room that they've they've got projected. You're talking about $78 million in cap room this offseason. You have 28 free agents with two big ones in Gesicki and Agba. But other than Gesicki and Agba and a handful of other guys that we'll talk about next week, you know, if, 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 you, if you say it like this uh, – it, let's say Agba and Gesicki combined, you're spending $27 million. Mm -hmm. And then the draft class, even on the high end, another $10 million. Yep. So $78 minus gives you, about 40, 30, gives you about $40 million to play with. Uh, so, yes, yeah, about $40 million there. So that mm -hmm. allows – that will allow the Dolphins to go out and sign. If they, if they do things correctly, three really good players in free agency. No, it's, it's – I mean, you look at – 
the top three offensive tackles, they're going to probably get somewhere between or left tackles. They're going to get probably somewhere between mm, seventeen to twenty-three million based on the the value for for left tackles right now. And then if you're able to sign one of those guys from like five to eight on the offensive tackle list, they're probably going to be around that twelve million rate. And then you've still got the ability to play in other areas. Absolutely. Uh, so, Paul, anything else jump out from the chat here today before we uh, call it a day? Uh, not a, people are excited. We're not going to have a lot of Patriots retreads anymore. I'm with you on that. Um, you know, the Bobby McCain talk we already talked about. It's, I don't know. I think, I think we're in good shape, but guys, make sure you guys like, make sure you guys subscribe, turn your notifications on. We're here almost every Saturday morning with, if any news breaks, it's important. We're going to, we're going to hop back on. I'm super excited about Sam Madison, Pat Sertan. You brought up with Wes Welker, the fact that what he was able to do to get open. Could you imagine if Wes Welker had the physical gifts that someone like Jalen Waddle does? And I'm really hopeful for what Welker can do with him as well as some of the other folks in the receiver room. And right. that, that, that may be something that helps some of these guys that we're not thinking about right now as well. So there's a lot to like, and I think we're going to have one or two young wide receivers to work on with Welker. I'm hopeful that they're able to see something in Kirk Merritt. Uh, I know he got to be kind of a folk hero. No, Kirk Merritt's gone. Is he? Oh, that's right. Yeah, they they, they didn't. Yeah, that was that was pretty. That was a lot quieter than I thought. I yeah. I, I barely caught that a couple of weeks ago. But he's. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. They're they're Lynn Bowden's one that they can. Yeah, looks like a good fit. I mean, he's. I, I'm I'm interested to see how he does. And yeah, I I think that I really think the Dolphins have missed out on on drafting those receivers in the third, fourth, and fifth round over the last couple of years yeah. that can separate. I mean, talk about guys like, you know, Deontay Johnson or Darnell Mooney. The, I'm handpicking there, but just guys who are drafted there because they're not the biggest, they're not the fastest, but they can separate. That's that's what you're looking for in the middle rounds. And we're going to talk like a Malcolm Perry. Uh, where is he now? He's He just got, he's on someone's practice squad. I think he's with the Ravens. I wouldn't be surprised squad. if Miami tries to steal him back just so McDaniel can see what he can do with a switchblade player like that. Um, I mean, it's it's. I, I know I know we got to get off the air here, but it, it's one of the re- reasons why I've reset a lot of my draft stuff that I know we're going to be talking about coming up. And I'm looking at guys like James Cook out of Georgia, guys like Chigangankwu, uh to be a fullback because you can have the same personnel on the field for just about any formation because Agonku can kick out to that slot tight end and be an absolute receiving threat. Cook, Cook's almost a better wide receiver than he is a running back, and he's a damn good running back with good vision that can make those one-step one cuts like you were talking about. And yeah. it's, you know, looking at the pieces like that in terms of, like, those are guys that may wash out in some ways in other places, but if they're put in the right scenarios and right situations with the right coaching – could thrive and dominate and be something that gives defensive coordinators fits. And, and and that's a tribute to what this coaching staff is and what this coaching staff is building and should be and why we're so excited here on this show um, yeah. as far as that goes. So a few quick hits here. Uh, uh, let's see from Daniel Harris. Uh, can Wes Welker coach up Devontae Parker? Parker doesn't seem like a Welker type of uh, fit for me, but – his whole thing is about creating separation. So I, I don't know. We'll see, but for Parker just doesn't make a lot of money and, and he's able to bring a, a, that 
contested catch asset to the team, which, you know, a, a lot of other receivers don't have on this on this roster besides he and Gusecki. So we'll see. Um, someone asked to uh, uh, Ryan AP, uh, do you want Brandon Jones playing strong safety more so than than uh, Eric Rowe? You know, that's interesting because. I think Brandon Jones is a great fit as a third safety playing in the box more mm-hmm. um, blitzing. If you can, if you have the ability to get a great strong safety back there, you may, I don't know, take a look at it. Could, could you get honey badger? Could you get Marcus Williams? I don't know that we'll, we'll we'll save that for another day, but uh, that's, that's good Lord. It could be honey, honey badger being back there with Brandon Jones and, and, and Javon Holland in a three safety look. Good Lord. You know, I actually take that back. Honey Badger, because Honey Badger's better playing in the box and, and blitzing a lot, but eh, I think, who knows? Um, upgrade a punter. Uh, we have a lot of punter talk here. Uh, yeah, we are all in for Matt draft. Ariza. Matt Ariza or the uh, 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 Jake Camardia. Uh, two, I, I, I will all day draft a punter in the fifth round. Not without batting an eye. I mean, I was in favor of drafting Blake Ferguson uh, in the at sixth round. If he's your long snapper yeah, for Ferguson. 15 years, <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I mean, if Did you say turn Ferguson, uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, thanks for joining us here this morning. We really appreciate it, everyone. And we're going to have great content and great shows for you heading up uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'm Brian cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, uh, finfanatic.com as well, and the fan-sided network. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.